I uh, once thought I would be a musician. Um, and I, I now say I know just enough about music to make most musicians mad. Um, and uh, that's a whole different story. Andrew, thank you for reminding us to remember. That's so critically important in our walk with the Lord, to remember who he is and who we are and uh, that relationship that we have with him. Well, today, uh, Pastor Jim is fishing. Uh, at least, did I shut off? I don't know what happened. It's plugged in and the light's green. Oh, well. <laughs> Except they can't hear me outside and, uh-oh. I have that effect on things, especially things electronic. Um, okay. Um, Pastor Jim is fishing, at least I hope that's what he's doing. And uh, I used to say, uh, when he would ask me to preach, when I get up here and I would say, today you get second or third string. Uh, but you don't even get that anymore. I'm now just a walk-on. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, whether or not I'm going to stay on the team is very much up for grabs. Uh, but uh, anyway, here I am, and you're either stuck with me or you can leave. I, you know, that, that's, that's kind of the way it is. I'm going to do something really different this morning that is connected um, frankly, um, I can say this without embarrassing him because Jim's not here. The last two Sundays uh, have been two of the most powerful sermons that Jim has preached as far as I can remember. Um, his whole biblical perspective on the issue of social justice uh, was refreshing uh, and uh, enlightening and encouraging to me. Uh, it's important for us to know that most of us, and I'll speak for myself, when it comes to issues of social justice, I need to think differently than I have traditionally thought. Um, and uh, I, that's, that's a thought that I don't really like very much. Uh, because I'm at an age where I don't like to change anything. Um, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's just the way it is. But change is a constant in the Christian walk. And uh, uh, God is the agent of that change. And it's very important to remember that. I've called this message this morning, A Moment to Decide. We're going to take an historical look at a group of Christians in the Germany of 1934 who took a stand on a biblical justice issue that turned out for most, if not all of them, to be very costly. We're going to look at a moment-to-decide document 
that was written by three German Christians and endorsed by 1,500 pastor and lay leaders in the German Lutheran Church. It was a windy landscape. If you know your history, you know that by 1934, Adolf Hitler was firmly in control of the reins of government in Germany. We don't have time to talk about how that happened, but it happened through uh, chicanery on his part and tragedy uh, with the death of a beloved president, uh, von Hindenburg, uh, in 1932. It was a windy landscape. It was a tough time to be alive in that part of the world. And these Christians met, and the document they created became the basis of what became known as the Confessing Church Movement within the German Evangelical Lutheran Church. Now, just some quick background. In the spring of 1933, Adolf Hitler decided to change the outlook, theology, and, uh, and public uh, presentation of the German Lutheran Church. You see, Germany in those days had a state church. If you were German, you were Lutheran. It didn't matter whether you went to church or not. You were still Lutheran. You paid your tithe to the church in the same way you paid your income tax, paid it to the state, and the state reimbursed the church out of what it garnered from the church taxes that the citizens paid to the state. And so Hitler took over the German Lutheran Church. Well, actually, first, he appealed to the German Lutheran Church for two things. He asked the pastors of the German Lutheran Church to encourage their people, number one, to swear unswerving loyalty to the goals of National Socialism, his political party in the German government. And secondly, he appealed to the German Lutheran Church to put themselves in compliance with what became known as the Aryan Paragraph. And with those two things, the German Lutheran Church was radically changed. The Aryan Paragraph said this, that Jews could not be evangelized. And that no Jewish and non-Jewish marriage should be allowed in the church. And they were, there were some other more minor points, but that was essentially the Aryan paragraph. It was one of the first steps in Hitler's government's uh, anti-Semitism position. Make no mistake about it, in the Germany of the 1930s, the oppressed people in Germany were all of those people who were not Aryan, who were not German by the definition of Hitler and his henchmen. And that included most specifically the Jews, the Israelites who lived in Germany. 
And the force upon the church to adopt the Arian paragraph greatly incensed most of the leaders of the German Evangelical Lutheran Church. They were not in favor of Hitler's anti-Semitic position. They were not in favor of the state legislating whom the church could and could not invite to be part of it. But Hitler wasn't done. On July 26, 1933, he called a national election of all German Lutherans. And as I've already told you, that was every adult in Germany. Didn't matter whether you went to church or not. Didn't matter whether you were a Christian or not. Didn't matter whether you were even religious or not. If you were German, you were Lutheran. And when a church vote was called, you could vote. And so in, on July 26, 1933, Hitler ousted the Reichsbishop of the German Lutheran Church, who was an evangelical leader. And he, in, he had this, the state vote to install as the new Reichsbishop of the German Lutheran Church a man named Gustav Muller. Gustav's, Gustav Muller's total ministry experience was as a chaplain's assistant in the Wehrmacht, which was the German army. He had no theological training. He was not a church leader of any shape or form, but he was a Nazi. And that's all that was important to Adolf Hitler. And so Hitler called an election and he required all of the Germans to vote including members of the Nazi party, and they voted Gustav Muller in as the Reichsbishop of the German Lutheran Church. And with that move, the Nazi government of Germany took over completely the state church. The Aryan paragraph was installed as official church dogma and doctrine, and the church was sworn to unswerving loyalty to the goals of National Socialism. Later, when World War II broke out in September of 1939, Hitler further added that the church had to pray fervently for a Nazi victory in the war. The evangelicals in the German Lutheran Church were incensed and petrified, shocked. What other synonyms for all of that you want to add would be appropriate. And the leaders of the evangelical arm of the German Lutheran Church called a meeting in the German town of Barmen, which is near Dusseldorf, and they met for three days in May 28th to 31st, 1934. And during those three days, they debated and then endorsed a document which is now known to us as the Barman Declaration. If you grew up in a Presbyterian church, the Barman Declaration is part of the Book of Confessions. 
in the Presbyterian Church. It's right up there with the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and the, and, and, and the, and the Westminster Catechism and, and all of those other great, great, great Christian documents. The Barman Declaration was written by three men. The primary writer was the great German-Swiss theologian who had dual citizenship in Germany and Switzerland, Karl Barth. It's a name some of you may have heard of. Brilliant, brilliant theologian. Probably wrote one of the greatest commentaries ever written on the Book of Romans. Karl Barth was the primary author of the Barman Declaration. He was aided in the writing by two brothers, Wilhelm and I'm missing the other name, first name here. Uh, oh, Martin and Wilhelm Niemuller. And what I want to do today is take a look, quick look, at the six principles of the Barman Declaration, which, in which these, there were 1,500 leaders in the German Evangelical Church who signed on to the Barman Declaration in the face of what they knew would clearly be persecution coming from the Nazi government of Germany. What I want to do this morning is take a quick look at the six principles that the writers and signatories of Barman endorsed. What you have in the sermon notes, if you have a copy, and there are some still in the back if you don't, is a, an abridged statement of the Declaration. There, there isn't enough paper to, to, to print it all. And some of it is hard to understand because German is a difficult language to translate into English, and so it comes across quite stilted. But, but what I gave you is the gist of the Declaration. Let me encourage you to do something if, if this piques your interest. Go home, get on your computer, and Google Barman Declaration, you'll get a bunch of hits. Better yet, Google the text of the Barman uh, uh, Declaration, and you'll get a full copy on your computer screen of what uh, the document said and what these people signed. It begins with a preamble, and I want to read this preamble to you. It says this, Try the spirits whether they are of God. Prove also the words of the confessional synod of the German evangelical church, that was themselves, to see whether they agree with the Holy Scriptures and with the confessions of the fathers. If you find that we're taking our stand contrary to Scripture, then do not listen to us. But if you find that we are taking our stand upon Scripture, then let no fear 
or temptation keep you from treading the path, treading with us the path of faith. Isn't that great? They're inviting everyone. Say, look, take a look at what we've created. If you find it to be in violation of Scripture, then don't pay any attention to us. But if you find it's biblical, join us in the fight. And what follows then are six principles with supporting Scripture passages. Principle number one. It says this. Jesus Christ, as he is attested to us in the Holy Scriptures, is the one word of God whom we have to hear. Is that great? There's only one word. And it's a word personified. Think of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, the speech of God. He was with God, and guess what? He was God. He is the one word of God whom we have to hear and whom we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject the false doctrine that the church could and should recognize as the source of its proclamation beyond and beside this one word of God. Yet other events, powers, historic figures, and truths as God's revelation. Turn in your Bibles. I, I, I don't think we have the words of these passages on, on slides. So uh, forgive me for that's my fault, by the way, not the tech people. Sorry. Oh, maybe there, it's up there. Oh, good. Okay. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of our Lord. And then John chapter 10, verses 1 and 9. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Now, you will find, if you read the, the text of Barman uh, later today, there's no mention of anybody in the German government. There's no mention of Adolf Hitler, no mention of Adolf Eichmann or Himmler or any of the other uh, people who were involved with the German takeover by the Nazi party. This was not a document in which they railed against their enemies. We Christians are good at doing that, you know. We're good at creating documents in which we call the people we don't like bad people. They didn't do that. Instead, they stated positively, this is what we believe. This is what we think is true. And therefore, by definition, the rest of that is false. John 10, 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 30. 
It is because of him, Jesus Christ, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Wow. There's no other answer. There's no other way. That's principle one. Principle two. The declaration says, as Jesus Christ is God's comforting pronouncement of the forgiveness of all of our sins, so with equal seriousness, he is also God's vigorous announcement of his claim upon, watch this, our whole life. You've heard this before, but it bears saying here, Jesus does not want part of me. He does not want part of you. He's he's not asking for an hour or so (coughs) of your time on Sunday morning. He's not asking you for five or ten minutes of daily Bible reading and cursory prayer. He's not asking you for for you to obey a whole bunch of rules. He's asking for your heart. He's asking for the real you and the real me. Our whole life. Through him, through Jesus, there comes to us joyful liberation from the godless ties of this world for free, grateful service to his, God's creatures. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's it, folks. That's it. I remember one time Reverend Billy Graham was on the Tonight Show, back in the great old Johnny Carson days. Any of you remember that? Never been a moderator of that show like Carson since. And Billy, as he always did when he was given a public audience, he began sharing the gospel with with Carson, which is making Johnny really nervous (laughs) and uncomfortable. And finally, Johnny, in frustration, says to Billy, Billy, are are you telling me that all the other religions of the world are wrong? Are you telling me that the only way for a person to know God is through Jesus? And Billy instantly, without any hesitation, responded, John, you misunderstood me. I didn't say that. God did. (laughs) Johnny says, we'll take a commercial break. (laughs) When he came back, Graham was gone. <laughs> you see, when Jesus said to his disciples, don't be surprised when the world rejects you, they rejected me. That was not only historical, it was prophetic. The world is rejecting Jesus by droves. But Acts 4.12, good old Luke tells us, This is it, folks. This is the only show in town. 
If you want to know God, Jesus Christ is the only answer. Not Adolf Hitler. Not Himmler. None of the henchmen of the Nazi party have an answer. Only Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple? Don't, don't, don't think of your body as some kind of a shrine. That's not what temple means here. It simply means dwelling place. Your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy, if, you, if you know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives right inside you. Now, don't go home trying to look for him. You try to perform surgery, you'll kill yourself. But he's there. Your body is the residing place, the house, the home of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. James Lowell, in his marvelous poem, A Moment to Decide, in one verse of that poem, which later was set to a hymn tune that's very familiar to all of us, um, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. Hymn tune is called Ebenezer. And James Lowell, James Russell Lowell, has a line in the second stanza of that poem about truth which has a wretched crest. You are not your own. Folks, that's a wretched crest. That's a hard thing to swallow. That, that, that's, that's a crust that most of us would cut off the bread before we eat it. But it's true. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And there's the other wretched crust. The price paid for us to be bought was the life of Jesus Christ. We just commemorated that this morning as Andrew led us. Therefore, honor God with your body. And that's principle two. Jesus Christ is it, folks. It's the only show in town. Principle three. We reject the false doctrine that the church could have permission to hand over the form of its message and of its order to whatever it itself might wish or to the vicissitudes of the prevailing ideological and political convention, convictions. The church is not for sale. It's not ours to give away. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 say this. Speaking the truth in love, we will all in all things grow up, to start, grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each Heart does its work. 
fit and joined together, or joined and, joined and held together. That's the Greek word koreadzo. I've told you this before. You know what we get from that in English? Chorus. Choreography. You see, Paul's talking here about the choreography of the Holy Spirit that knits and fits the church together. You ever think about this? How many of the people in this room would you strive to see every week if it weren't for Jesus Christ in this body? Most of us wouldn't see each other at all. Some of us would never see others again in this life. But we're here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's choreography has brought us together to be here. Like it or not. And we don't bow to the vicissitudes of politicians or ideologues or theologues. A great statement from Karl Barth, who was one of the greatest theologians that ever lived. And Karl Barth once said, when you have thought all of your theology, you still have not thought God. That is so true. God is bigger than my theology or your theology. Way bigger. Principle four. We reject the false doctrine that apart from this ministry... The church could have permission to give itself or allow itself to be given special leaders. Now that's a reference to the Fuhrer, Hitler, vested with ruling authority. Just because and, and, and the and the passage is Matthew 20, 25, and 26. Let's look at that. Jesus called them together, that's the disciples, and said. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and us and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You see, human authority is not the final authority in the church and these people knew that. The Niemuller brothers and Karl Barth knew that intensely. The final authority in the church is Jesus Christ himself. Years ago, some of you remember this, years ago the Hebrew National Company, which manufactures kosher meats and stuff, and, and they make hot dogs. And they used to advertise on television that a lot of other companies' hot dogs contain this and this and this and this. Ours do not because we answer to a higher authority. <laughs> you see, and that's what, that's what the, the crafters of Barman are saying. There's, a, there's an authority above the human rulers here, and we answer to that authority, regardless of what the human rulers tell us. 
Principle five. We reject the false doctrine that beyond its special commission, the state should and could become the sole and total order of human life and so fulfill the vocation of the church as well. Now that's half of, uh, of principle five. You know, what, you know what they're saying here? The state does not control the church. Folks, when I read the second part of this in just a second, you're going to see this is a separation of state and church issue. And we Christians are real ambivalent about that. But the state and the church must be separate. Otherwise, the church cannot fulfill its mandate to serve the Lord. The church cannot thrive in a society where a totalitarian government won't let it do its ministry. You say, oh yeah, churches have survived in communist countries. Yeah, and that's true. But you know why? Because the church leaders said, said the same thing the, the writers of Barman are saying, we will not give in. <clears throat> we will not let the state tell us how, when, or where we can worship God, even if it costs us our lives. The second part of principle five. We reject the false doctrine that beyond its special commission, the church should and could take on the nature, tasks, and dignity which belong to the state and thus become itself an organ of the state. And, and you know, I said a second ago, we Christians are ambivalent about this. We love the notion that the state can't control the church. But a lot of us would like to see the church control the state. And I want to tell you something. You go through church history all the way back to the Old Testament times, and you'll discover where the church has tried to control the state, it's always been a disaster for the church. Because God did not put the church here to control the state. God put the church here to serve humanity. And believe me, we live in a time where humanity desperately needs to be served. We are so myopic in the United States. We, we see some news and stuff about social injustice here in our country, but I could bring my dear friend Kristen Willard up here if we hadn't until about two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and Kristen could tell you about some of the scenes of, of social injustice that would turn your stomach. Right, Kristen? Girls as young as five or six or seven years old sold into prostitution. Families selling their children just to buy food. And that's just the start. Injustice happens in every generation, in every country, including our own. And we need to acknowledge that. And we need to do what we can as a service institution to alleviate social injustice. But we cannot put ourselves in a position 
of trying to control the state. That's not what God put us here for. And Barman acknowledged that. 1 Peter 2.17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brother. And by the way, everyone means all of those people I don't agree with. And that's really hard. I have a tough time respecting some politicians today from both parties. But Peter says, respect everyone. And watch this. Love your brotherhood of believers, fear God, and here's the last line, three words, honor the king. You know who the king was? If Peter was writing this, Nero, who was executing Christians by the thousands throughout the entire Roman Empire. And Peter says, honor the king. Well, principle six. We reject the false doctrine that with human vainglory, the church could place the word and work of the Lord into the service of self-chosen desires and purposes and plans. Wow. You see, that's not ours to give away. God didn't create the church and give authority to the church to just give the church away. You can't do that. It's not biblical. Matthew 28, 20. This is the second half of what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. Begins, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them some of the good ideas you've learned from me, right? Teaching them the things I've taught you that you agree with, kind of ignoring the ones you don't. No, teaching them everything I have commanded you, even the wretched crust stuff. 2 Timothy 2.9. This is my gospel, Paul speaking to Timothy, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. You can't chain the word of God. No human government has ever been able to put out that fire. And none ever will, including our own. Well, that's the Barman Declaration. It was signed by more than 1,500 clergy and lay leaders, and it cost all of them dearly. Karl Barth was exiled from Germany and stripped of his professorship at the University of Bonn. Martin and Wilhelm Niemüller were both imprisoned, and Wilhelm ultimately was killed. 
Most, if not all, of the 1,500 signatures were murdered, executed, or drafted into the Wehrmacht, the German army, and sent to serve in the most dangerous, life-threatening areas of combat. And most lost their lives. But you know what? The confessing church survived. And post-Hitler withdrew the Aryan paragraph and all of the pro-Nazi declarations that had been imposed upon them from the church documents and began once again to be the church that God had put in Germany to be. Cost some people their lives. You and I have been fortunate we can take a strong stand in this country. And what will it cost us? Ridicule. Uh, Bad-mouthing. Discrimination. Christians are being discriminated against in this country. There's no doubt about it. The gospel message is being discriminated against in this country. There's no doubt about it. But none of us yet have lost our lives because we stood up for Jesus Christ and his church. And so a little ridicule we can take, a little discrimination we can take, because as my friend Earl Palmer said, give me a level playground. Give me a playground in which the gospel message can be put out on equal footing with everybody else's messages <coughs> and the gospel message will win. In the end, the gospel message will win. We can learn from these brave Germans who knowing that it would likely cost them their lives stood up and declared openly and publicly what they believed, and signed their names to it. What a great, great, great answer to injustice. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful for Barman. We're grateful for a bunch of people we never even knew who took it upon themselves to be brave followers of Jesus Christ. May we in our lives and our world do the same. In Jesus' name.